Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is filmmaker Dana Ziyasheva. Today we will discuss her feature film, Defenders of Life. Dana, born in Almaty, Kazakhstan in 1972, dreamed of becoming a writer and filmmaker. But in the Soviet Union of her childhood, opportunities for a middle-class Kazakh girl from the empire's outskirts to make a career in cinema were virtually inexistent. Instead, Dana graduated from Kazakh State University and became a TV journalist in the field covering police patrols as well as natural and political disasters. In 1994, she used her fellowship at the Central European University in Prague, Czech Republic, to foray into Western Europe. No one, not even the Kazakh government, could believe it when the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization in Paris offered her a position as the youngest and first ever international civil servant from Kazakhstan. Despite initial disapproval from her own government, Dana spent the next 20 years working for the UN in Paris, in Iraq, in China, and in Costa Rica. Between missions, negotiating with governments and implementation of international conventions, and UN plans of action, she was involved in audiovisual projects with Central China TV and China Film Group. Dana, welcome. Thank you. Defenders of Life is your first feature film and it's set in the rainforest of Costa Rica. How is it that came about? I was working uh, as advisor for communication and information in Central America for my organization, uh, UNESCO. And I was stationed in San Jose uh, covering all uh, five countries of Central America. And I could very well just limit myself to going to those nations' capitals and conducting workshops and conferences and trainings. But I always wanted to see how is life at the outskirts of, of those, outside the capitals where people, most marginalized groups live. Like, and the most marginalized groups for us are women, youth, and indigenous people. And of course, people with disabilities. So um, I, I, I very quickly came to realize that uh, indigenous people they have very high concentration of uh, those marginalized traits and vulnerabilities that I wanted to address, and uh, that I really wanted to see how how indigenous people live and how I can help them. So. I was trying to find my way into uh, those indigenous groups, which are many, and uh, they are scattered all, all, all around those countries, and they are very um, difficult to access. And um, I was traveling to remote places in one place in Nicaragua when I was visiting uh, Caribbean co uh, region Atlantico Norte and region Atlantico Sur, uh, I, I even contracted dengue, so remote and very kind of underserved those areas are. And um, then I also came across of Nabe 
people in Costa Rica, and it was very difficult to access them too. Actually, in order to gain access, I had to. I I was first uh, conducting a project with the religious TV in Panama, who themselves had connections to the. Orden de los Laureles. It's uh, a non or, or order that uh, works that helps indigenous women in Nabe women in Panama and Costa Rica. And uh, so my first introduction to Nabe women was through the Orden uh, through the Orden de los Las Laureles, uh, which is a religious order, and. Um, it it went very well. I think we clicked. Uh, it is very strange, but we did click. Uh, we had a very interesting conversation with with Nabe women, and uh, I also walked around and I, I talked to many many people uh, in the in this place, which is a an indigenous reservation called La Casona. And uh, if you would drive on, on a road in Costa Rica, you would never guess where to take a turn and where to find them and who to, to go to and who to talk to. But thanks to all those connections that were made through um, at least two years of my work with different uh, angels and TVs and um, uh, and uh, various grassroots organizations, I was made able to to get there. And so we started this conversation with with Nabu women, and they told me how they they told me about the issues, about their problems. And of course, my main field of action was uh, communication and information. So I started by providing them with training and also equipment that would allow them to uh, to uh broadcast their opinions my main my main goal was to give voice to the voiceless and indigenous Nabu, uh, indigenous women and girls they are the voiceless they are the ones who have the least possibilities to express themselves and to uh to to be heard uh when i returned to to san jose the capital of costa rica after my first encounter with Nabe women, I told my colleagues uh, and my partners in Costa Rica, I said, oh, it was so great. We had such a great discussions about life. And everybody was so surprised. Uh, they, were, they were asking me, Nabe women talk? They, they can talk? They never talk. They, all, they, are always shy, they always shy away from any conversation. They are considered completely... Um, disinterested in what's happening around them. And I said, that's not the image they gave me. I could barely make them stop talking. <laughs> so uh, I, um, I, was taking, I was taking this drive, seven-hour drive through Costa Rica to, uh, if the traffic is good, <laughs> yes, if there are no accidents on the road, I was taking this drive very... Um, more and more frequently to the Casona Reservation, and I was providing them with trainings, I was providing them with radio recording equipment, with cameras, with computers, I was teaching them how to uh, establish their, for example, profile on the Facebook, how to look for a job on the internet, how to apply for a job on the internet. Uh, they were making radio programs, 
and uh, and we even made a film. Uh, we made not a film. We made a, a series of six portraits, uh, which uh, entitled "Soy de la Casona usted," which means "I'm from Casona," and uh, "How about you?" Where neighbor women, but also their like tribal leaders, were introducing themselves and uh, and explaining what they do in life and uh, showing their houses and uh, also indirectly and directly promoting their their handicraft products what or, or or whatever they were trying to make living of uh, and this was shown on uh, on Costa Rican TV and I was very proud because it was among the first uh, positive um, portrayals of Nabi people because there are a lot of negative stereotypes about indigenous people and not only in Costa Rica uh, it's all over Central America the image is marked with those uh, stereotypes that that are truly negative and I found it personally hurtful although I'm not indigenous and <laughs> as you said I was born in Kazakhstan but I just I just can I cannot see injustice and not try to 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 fight against it. So for uh for a year I was coming to La Casona and we were making all those projects and uh, I was always staying at the house of Doña Carmen. She is the most outspoken and I would even say controversial figure in in this community. And the community, I could tell you that the community is is it's a very vibrant community, and they have a lot of drama, and they have a lot of um, passion, and uh, they are very interesting people to to be with. And uh, so um, I I always chose to stay at Carmen's. And uh, in the evenings, I would also talk to her daughters, you know, they would sometimes like sleep into my room and they would start talking to me. And uh, they told me stories about their childhood, about their, how, how it was to be, to, to, to grow as another girl, as another uh, woman. And it was, it was very difficult for them. Uh, there were stories of rapes, there were stories of abuse, um, also child labor, and I was I was fascinated. I was taken, and I was really um, humbled by the fact that they choose to share those stories with me, and those were stories of almost Shakespearean magnitude for me. And uh, Carmen herself, she always lamented, she often lamented that um, uh, she was almost, she considered herself as almost the last carrier of another culture because young people, they understand that in order to uh, find a job in, 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 in the capital of Costa Rica or in, in nearby places or even in Panama, they have to speak Spanish. So, and also there is a very big
big cultural uh, flow that comes from from the capital of Costa Rica or from other uh, countries in, in Latin America, and it's all in Spanish. So all the attractive content is in Spanish. So why the young people need to speak uh, need to speak Navere? So Carmen was always uh, very sad that she felt that her language, her traditions, her culture, and it's a very ancient culture, uh, Nabe, it will disappear. With her, genera- with her generation gone, Nabe culture will be gone. And so I felt, I, I felt really sad. And at some point, I, I just told her, listen, why don't we make a movie? And she was so enthusiastic about it. She had no idea what is to make a movie. You know, they don't have a cinema nearby. They don't have a cinema. I, I don't even think that in the regional center they have a cinema. But uh, And TV in her house does not work most of the time. They have power, like, uh, outages. And um, uh, in general, like, electronics are very expensive. So... But despite all that, she and her family, they were all on board. They hopped on board of it, and they said, Dana, let's make a movie. And so that's how uh, it's, uh, the idea of the movie uh, came into being. This was your first movie, is that right? Uh, yes, that was my first movie. I was involved in uh, production of films in China, um, in Mongolia, in my own country, Kazakhstan, I worked as a journalist, TV journalist, TV reporter, uh, and also I worked as an assistant uh, to director at the video studio in Kazakhstan in the 90s. So <laughs> I know a little bit about this process, and I'm also... Uh, I'm also a big movie fan, so all those things helped me to the kind of they lay the basis for me to proclaim myself a film director and launch myself into it. But it also, to be honest, uh, of course, at first I just wanted to write a story. I just wanted to write a script and then to find a film suitable film director who can. Uh, carry to to fruition this project and uh, we met with a with a number of filmmakers both in costa rica and also in panama we identified them through uh through uh similar projects similar films that they made and we contacted them we met with them but unfortunately i just felt that they won't click with nabe the way i did and also they were proposing an, uh, a different approach from ours, which, which we, we considered that the best would be to come to La Casona and film it quickly in a guerrilla style, but, you know, you also, of course, not compromising on the quality, but we understood that this, given the volatility of, like, of the community itself, uh, how fast alliances change and how fast like the public opinion in the community can sway and also given the fact that we chose to work with one family and not with like for example with another family etc that we need to do it fast otherwise it cannot be made and um 
those filmmakers that we uh, we met with, they wanted to do to go slow. They wanted to come and uh, first of all have conversations with the community, have everybody on board, and also understand themselves what the community is, and then come back in another two months, and then come back in another two months. And basically, the whole filming process would have been very long, and we just felt it won't work given the circumstances. Uh, also, those uh, filmmakers, they had approach that was not exactly our vision. They did not share exactly our vision of how the film should be, uh, should come out and the ma main idea of the film. We thought that we wanted to show Nabe the way they were. Not putting, you know, those pinky gla pink glasses on them or on us and just show that Yes, they have problems, but those problems, we, we cannot spend all our lives blaming our problems on everybody else. We have to also assume responsibility for our lives, for what goes wrong in those lives and why. Because if we don't, then the situation will never change. So we wanted the film to be a very... Um, uh, how to say it? I'm, I'm thinking in French, but we wanted the, the film to be a faithful mirror of what what is there in reality. And uh, those filmmakers that we 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 were trying to uh, involve as film directors, they thought, no, we should show Nabe as pure victims and uh, people who are suffering and we will adopt this like kind westerner anthropological approach whereby we will pat them on the on, on their heads and say yes poor children you are mistreated and uh, that's not how it should be and we wanted to to show nabe as just like us you know they are very uh, they they are full of contradictions they they have good sides they have bad sides just like everybody else we didn't want to divide the world into us westerners who know everything and how the life should be and then those nabe who are uh, who are basically completely lost, and here is how like we, we we could help them. We didn't want to show our good hearts. We wanted to show life as it is. So at the, when we realized that there is this profound differences, uh, when we realized those profound differences in our approaches with other filmmakers, then uh, Igor Darbo, the producer of the film, he just told me, "Why don't you do it? Why don't you?" direct the film and I was like oh I, I cannot it's I, I never did it before and then he says you should try you should try you see Carmen she never acted in a film before and she wants to do it Nabe actually were the main inspiration for me I thought if they are full of confidence then they could do it then I should do it too Donna, so this is a difficult, sensitive topic that you address in the movie. What was it like interacting with the Nabe community and the leaders, the youth? 
tell us about that whole process. And later, of course, you also had to interact with everybody else. What was that like? Um, the movie um, shows differences in perception. Uh, the way uh, we, uh, people coming from outside, perceive uh, events happening in the Nabe community and the way Nabe themselves perceive uh, those events and themselves differ very much. And that's what we wanted to show. We wanted to um, convey how important it is for everybody to understand this difference in perception. Because if we if we think that it's not important and we just each one of us continues to push push his point of view on the on on, on our interlocutor, then that's how many conflicts actually arise. You know, wars arise arise from difference in perceptions. Uh, that's why I was very I was acutely aware of those differences in the way we see things when I um, was working with Nabe. And, uh, for example, they don't, not all of them, not always see that, for example, like marrying a child is, uh, is, is not the right thing to do. For them, it is also about survival of a tribe. It, it is about survival of, of uh, this group of people. So, um, what is one girl's individual fate of marrying an older man compared to the survival issue for the whole tribe? That they would, they, this girl would have children, and those children they will be nabes, and so there will be continuity to their civilization. That is the issue. That is the question to which I didn't have an answer. If our film doesn't have an answer to this question, but we we put it out there in the open by showing the conditions in which Nabes have to live, have to survive, have to uh, preserve and continue practicing their culture and their traditions. Because uh, marrying, a, a, marrying a girl when she reaches a puberty, it's, it's an ancient tradition. Some anthropologists argue that it emerged strangely after conquistadors came uh, to, 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 to this continent. Before uh, the, uh, the age of marriage for girls was much, much later. But for some reasons, probably in the face of extinction, uh, that the, that indigenous people were facing, they decided to marry early so that there, there will be more children and uh, conquistadors won't take away their women. So that's why we, when we offered to, when we suggested to Nabe to make a marriage of Esmeralda part of the film, part of the narrative, uh, they they agreed and uh, for example when we asked Don Francisco the person who pay uh, the the man who plays uh, the elderly neighbor who um, proposes to Esmeralda we asked him to play this role he accepted it and there was no any apprehension from his side he accepted it and he even 
you know, he, but he composed his own dialogue, the proposal, and it is, it is, we, we, we really encouraged him to do it, and we were with him through this process, because, uh, I think it's it's very important for for it was very important for me as a film director and as 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 a woman as a person to distinguish between what Don Francisco was playing in the film and uh, how he was expressing himself from what Don Francisco was in real life in the real life he is a patriarch he has 30 children and he uh, and so many grandchildren and he's very respected and he never married an underage girl he never did but he's aware of this tradition he saw it around him and uh, he does not condone this tradition because again again because of like a much bigger picture of the survival of the whole tribe you know so we uh, we very much uh, supported his <laughs> we could say creativity in crafting the image of this elderly neighbor who wants to marry uh, uh, an underage girl and who later um, uh, becomes very antagonistic towards uh, uh, an American boy who is there and who is a friend of with with this girlfriend uh, with this girl with Esmeralda, because, exactly, because Don Francisco perceives him as uh, as a danger. He perceives this out boy who comes from outside, he perceives him as, it's almost, um, it's almost a genetic memory, on genetic level, he perceives him as a threat to the survival of a tribe. So, um, then we also spoke with the Kasiki, and Kasiki had different different considerations in his mind, because uh, we kind of our film uh, and the shooting um, of the uh, film altered the tribal dynamic in the place where we were making the film. Uh, we chose to work with the family of Doña Carmen, we chose to work with the family of Don Francisco, and uh, several other families. But Cacique, from the beginning, thought that we would just go through him and we would be working only with him, and basically he would perceive major, main, main financial revenues from the film would go through him, and he will distribute it. But when we were discussing with Doña Carmen and uh, with other Nabe who were involved in our film, they wanted to work with us directly. They, 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 they themselves deliberately decided to uh, to interact there, uh, with us and not to us to go through Kasike. So that's why it's it's more you know it's more economic. Uh, economic reasons that were behind the fact that Kasiki somehow stood stood aside. He blessed uh, our film. We he even prepared cacao for us, and we drank sacred cacao with him, and we thoroughly informed him of our filming process throughout uh, throughout uh, our like stay there. But he wasn't he wasn't there for us all the time. So. Um, we also had uh, big support from um, farmers who were not Nabe, who lived around, who lived around this area. They um, 
they are very interesting people, uh, farmers who who live almost in the reserve or like their land adjacent to the reserve because they have um, um, they know Nabe, some of them speak Nabe and they share land with them and uh, they actually wanted the film to happen because they hoped that it would bring more tourism to the area because uh, the only basically sort of income, source of income in this area is handicraft, handicraft and tourism, but uh, not many people know that uh, this place exists, no many people know even about the uh, existence of Nabe, you know, so the, the tourist flow is very, very uh, slim. To this area and but the farmers they also hope that there would be more tourists so that they can provide housing they can provide services to them the area is very beautiful the the nature the biodiversity are amazing so the farmers really wanted us to show the area uh, so that uh, the film would would bring more tourists uh, as you could see, we had different uh, dynamics uh, with different groups of population in 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 this uh, area, and all of those relationships they were working relationships, and all of those relationships were done. We were trying to be very um, respectful of local traditions of local. Uh, social dynamics and economy and we in response we received uh, similar very um, how to say it competent and I would say even professional response from NABE and uh, and population in this area that must be challenging Donna to come in with a set of ideas, a personal set of ideas, a professional set of ideas into a community that has a different culture, a different language, a different history, and address an issue that is so sensitive. Was that a major challenge for you, or was that something that you navigated easily? We came there specifically for that, you know, that's what drew me to this area, to this community, is to exactly um, uh, study and reflect uh, on those issues together with them. Because uh, I, I worked in various parts of the world for 20 years. I run projects in various communities, usually for marginalized people, usually striving to give voice to the voiceless. So that was the whole point of me coming into this area and bringing with me a filming crew. Of course, diplomatic background helped. Like I saw, uh, I saw how the United Nations navigates all those differences, cultural differences, and um, political uh, political uh, confrontations uh, like at the highest level but also I was trying to do it at my level so it was very interesting and challenging work but I like challenges and 
the most important was for, the most important uh, uh, for me and for Nabe was to treat each other as equals because as soon as someone comes to them and has this haughty attitude or you know I'm going to teach you how you should live then the person faces a wall important is to listen to them and then they would listen to me and that's how we worked I did not at some point you know I, I stopped even seeing them as as something else, you know, as, as you know, different from me. We were the same. I dressed the same as them, and we we we, we were laughing at, at jokes. They understood all my jokes. I understood all their jokes because we started to know each other's context. Context, and sometimes I was even, you know, sometimes I was even teasing them. For example. Mm, to to Don Francisco, I would say, Don Francisco, you know, you have 30 children, and uh, you have those, you know, like crocs. He had very old crocs. And I say, in my country, when an old person has 30 children, his crocs would be made of gold. <laughs> you know, so those cultural references that are no, that that they would under he he laughed at my at my at this at this teasing it was a very gentle teasing so those cultural references when I'm trying to bring bring my cultural references and perceptions in our discussion and it's it's not necessarily that you know it's good or or wrong or bad it's wrong or right it's just it's just another culture it's it's just another view on on the thing with, a, with no, you know, moral connotations, it was always very helpful, and I, I really enjoyed it. When you say Crocs, you're referring to shoes? Yes, yes. He was wearing those, like, really old plastic Crocs. And I was like, Don Francisco, how is that possible? With 30 children? <laughs> you also talked about the area where the Nabe in the film live and that it was difficult to reach. Would you tell us a little bit more about that Nabe themselves? I think there's a quarter million, is that right? Oh, uh, I'm not sure because they are spread between, uh, between Panama and uh, Costa Rica. And uh, and it's very fluid because families move between uh, Costa Rica and Panama very easily. So it's very it's difficult to to account for 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 them in in one country. But I think yes, probably it's around this figure. What distinguishes them among indigenous people or among Costa Ricans? I know, of course, that they have their own language and traditions. Would you tell us a little bit about what those are, what characterizes the Nabe, if you can, in a brief description, help us understand who the Nabe are? Uh, Nabe... Uh are very distinct from other groups. They uh, have their own uh, clothes, very specific clothes. Uh, for example, um, they have a snake ornament which runs through, uh, which which is depicted on 
all garments that they they make they make their own garments of course then um it's uh, their clothes are color coded for example an older woman like a Don- woman like donia carmen would wear only uh navy blue dark blue uh color of uh, color dresses or young girls they would wear they could wear yellow they could wear white and uh, for example on magon uh, esmeralda in our film was wearing red because this is also uh, according to the tradition um uh, they have their own language of course uh, which is very specific and their way of life is very similar to uh, maya I found lots of similarities in the way they produce paper, in the way they produce, uh, for example, their clothes or food. Uh, they cook food. Uh, very, a lot of it has um, has references to, to Mayan culture. But there is very little information about Nabe in, in, in Costa Rica. The most... Uh, complete or in-depth descriptions of Nabe I found uh, where in, in in the descriptions by uh, religious people by by priests or monks or traveling um, tra- tra- traveling clerics basically um, yes uh, the the major main way of main main source of income is handicrafts and also agriculture the leaf of their land um, they live high in the mountains or in costa rica uh, high in the mountains and it's very it's it's difficult to access we were we filmed our our defenders of life in the Casona community, and this is uh, a center of Nabe uh, settlement in Costa Rica. But there are villages very high up in the mountains where we can reach, we cannot reach them. Um, Nabe have uh, the, uh, of course, they they go by Spain, official Spanish names. For example, Doña Carmen uh, uh, Jimenez or but uh, they have their own names in their own language. For example, I was uh, I asked uh, Carmen one day. I, I asked, "What is your name in Nabe? What is your Nabe name?" And she looked at me suspiciously, and she she said, "How do you know that I have a Nabe name?" I say, "Because." You have your language, and just like in my language, just like in my Kazakh culture, we have like names that that uh, that come from our culture. So, what is your Naba name? And she said, my Naba name is Tana. And I said, oh, Tana is uh, a clan to which I belong back in Kazakhstan. <laughs> so we we had a lot of backs back and forth between our Naba culture and Kazakh culture, and it brought us closer together. But basically, um, Naba were forced to almost abandon their abandon their culture, abandon their language, and that is what 
what uh, represents a very big source of grief for Doña Carmen. What language did you communicate in? Spanish. We communicated in Spanish language. But uh, many Nabe, uh, especially older generation, uh, don't uh, speak Spanish. Carmen learned Spanish when she was 40 years old, before she spoke exclusively Nabe. The, the problem that I see with Nabe is that it is not properly recorded. And my next project before I left the United Nations was to uh, try to uh, record Nabe language and establish standards for Nabe language because the way they speak uh, in, and write, it, write down the language in, in um, Costa Rica and Panama differs. For example, even the denomination of their own ethnic group, NABE, has different uh, ways of transcribing it. For example, in Costa Rica, they, are, they can be NGOBE, NOBE, NABE, and in, uh, we adopted for our film the uh, Pana, uh, pa Panamanian pronunciation of this word. So that's why we call them NABE. And the language is Nave or Nabere? Language is Nabere. Is there a written version of the language? It does not actually exist. There is no one standardized way of transcribing Nabe language. What kind of a, an experience was it for you working on your first film to be working with the Nabe themselves who are not actors and working in a remote area, it seems as if that would be particularly difficult. It was difficult and easy at the same time. Difficult, of course, because uh, we had all the constraints of <laughs> Modern technology, for example, we had to, to make sure that the, the set is properly lit, that the sounds are well recorded, and uh, we had to do it in the conditions, for example, of a waterfall. Uh, we, uh, we filmed at night in the field, we filmed at night in the jungles, we filmed uh, at, the, at the corrida local corrida or rodeo uh, um, event. So, of course, we had all the, um, all the pressure that comes with manipulating, uh, manipulating high-precision equipment. At the same time, it was also easy because uh, they w the crew was very small and we were filming uh, in the area where, for example, we did not need to obtain permits. So our schedule was much more flexible. For example, I would tell to Doña Carmen, okay, uh, we will come at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning and we would film this and this scene. And uh, I, for this scene, I need you to prepare those clothes and uh, those, uh, for example, props, <laughs> because she was also helping me with props and her daughters were helping me with the wardrobe, etc. So, um, and it will be done.
So it was difficult and at the same time easy because we did not have all the constraints of a very formal um, and formalities that come with shooting in a, in a big city. Uh, but yes, at the same time, we were a very small crew. So, for example, I, uh, when we were filming Mogon, uh, the Mogon ceremony scene on, on a waterfall, I, I, I spent two days uh, knee deep in cold water. I could not even wear shoes because uh, I was running on wet on 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 wet stones and rocks from uh, actors to the filming crew, and so if I would wear shoes, I may I may not feel what I'm stepping on, slip and and break my leg, and that was not good for the film. So I had to I had to run barefoot. Uh, at the same time. What is what is amazing is that uh, Nabe understood very complicated concepts that I was trying to convey. For example, they understood very uh, they understood what kind of atmosphere I want to convey in in this, in, in this particular episode or in this particular scene. What kind of, not only what mood they have to display, but what mood I want to give to the whole scene. Whether it is, you know, a, a nightmare, like Pesadilla de Doña Carmen, or if it is like a boy dreaming, they would understand it. And they would act accordingly, they would help me to select the 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 uh, dresses, the the garments that go with this. And uh, they are very um, artistic people. They are not constrained by by those, you know, formal education concepts that uh, many art students receive in in universities or colleges. They feel with their heart, and it goes from their heart. To, into their hands when they create handicraft or in, on, on their faces when they act. So at the same time, it was very easy to, to work with them because they understood immediately uh, those cinematographic concepts that you some people take like four or five years <laughs> and a degree to, to, to understand and implement. What kind of reactions did you get once the movie was out locally and beyond? Of course, the first uh, viewers, the first audience of the film were NABA themselves. We uh, made a, we premiered the film in La Casona, in the NABA indigenous uh, reservation although I don't like the word reservation, but that is what it is. And in the film, we show uh, barbed wires, we show the restrictions that, uh, we show that this place is kind of closed for for people from outside, but Naba themselves cannot leave it. So, um, yes, we premiered our film, and we got very positive reactions. They were very happy to to see each other on the screen, but also they were very proud. They were proud of uh, 
that the film shows their uh, their legends, their myths. Uh, the film shows the beauty of their nature, their relationships, their, the way in the, the way of life of the community. They were happy that it's all left on screen. And yes, there are some moments that are very uh, controversial, like, for example, a moment in a police station, a moment when an old man makes a proposal to a, young, a very, very young girl. All those moments are there, and Nabe uh, saw them, and they, it all comes from them. They know that this is part of their life. And we did not hide anything. But and but we did not, you know, they, they, no, no one is ashamed of anything because this is life as it is. So we had very positive, we had very positive uh, review of the film by Naba themselves. Then uh, we made um, a screening, we organized a screening in um, biggest cinema in uh, San Jose. Cap the capital of Costa Rica, and uh, it, the, the room was full, press was there, and Nabe came too. They came in force. They came, uh, every, everybody who was involved in the film came, and they brought their handicrafts, and they, they, they were also using it as a possibility to market their handicrafts and sell it right there in San Jose. And um, we uh, had ambassador of ambassadors of uh, Canada and uh, Holland who participated in the presentation of the film. And also uh, teenage uh, boys and girls, uh, school children from Costa Rica, who, uh, who from San Jose, who also came to, to see the film. My son uh, was going, uh, who plays uh, the American teenager, he was going to one of the schools in San Jose, and so his, his school organized uh, a bus, and the, he, the whole generation came to see the film. And it was, uh, it was very touching for me to see that some of the girls uh, at the premiere, they cried. They cried at the fate of Esmeralda. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they felt very, very acutely the pain of Nabe. And um, Donia Carmen introduced the film, and she introduced it in Nabere. Uh, she was sitting next to the ambassador of Canada, and uh, she was uh, the main... Uh, the main guest of the event because she was the driving uh, force be behind the film. Uh, then the film uh, for a year went on a festival circuit and uh, we gathered a lot of, we gathered quite few awards around the world. Uh, the film was recognized even in as far as Indonesia. Uh, of course, in, in, in South America and uh, even in Europe, for example, the Madrid Film Festival gave us uh, a, very, uh, a very important award. 
And then, yes, it was also recognized here in Los Angeles. It was at the Los Angeles Film Fest, at the Burbank Film Festival, where it received uh, best foreign film. Uh, like New, uh, Viva Latina New York Festival also awarded us a uh, similar award for the best foreign film. So the film had quite a, quite a lifespan on the festival circuit, and uh, it has a following in, in, in Costa Rica. We do hope that we can one day show it to a wide audience in Costa Rica and Panama, because uh, NABE and, in general, indigenous people, they are all very interested to see the film, and they keep asking us, when can we see the film? But uh, we so far had difficulties in reaching out to distributors of festivals in Costa Rica. It's very surprising to us that the film was recognized internationally as far as New York, Los Angeles, uh, Manaus, Brazil, like Madrid, Spain, uh, and uh, in, you, in, in many festivals around the world, but in the home country of Costa Rica and home country of Naba, Costa Rica and Panama, the film cannot be released. We are saddened by this because I think it also shows a certain, um, certain attitude towards our film by, by uh, the cinematographic elite in those countries. Uh, although the the, after the film was premiered in San Jose, um, the government of Costa Rica wanted to meet with NABE, who participated in the film, and uh, they wanted to see the film. So the film was shown in, in uh, the presidential palace of Costa Rica. And uh, uh, angels who helped us to make this film a reality and who supported support the cause of... Uh, of girls not marrying so early, uh, they were there, and uh, several months uh, later, Costa Rica signed uh, UN uh, treaty about that prohibits um, underage marriage for girls. So I don't know whether it is a coincidence or our film played some role in it, but yes, we brought this issue to uh, attention of the government. And not only the issue of underage marriage or forced uh, and early marriages, we also brought to light the plight of uh, Nabe people, um, cultural extinction that they are facing, the, the importance of preserving their language, traditions, way of life, all this is shown in our film, and we are very proud that we are the, so far we are the first and the only film that talks about this issue in, in, in Central America. So, yes, we, we consider that we accomplished what, what we set as a goal for this film. In many ways, the making of the film was a labor of love finding financing and working with a small crew. These were some of the other challenges that you faced. Tell us a little bit about what that process was like. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are 
interested perhaps for themselves or to better understand what being an indie filmmaker is like, especially when you're addressing such significant, socially significant topics? It was indeed a, a labor of love. Uh, without 100% dedication, you cannot make such a film. Um, you have to be ready to, you know, get your hands dirty and just work, 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 work. Uh, I was my own assistant. I was my own uh, scripty, uh, wardrobe, makeup, everything. I have, I had to supervise every aspect of production. At some point, I had to organize 70 nabe. For the, for the scene of Balseria, it's a traditional um, land-throwing competition among Nabe. Um, we had the whole community uh, who came and were supposed to participate in this scene. And at, at some point, I realized that I am on my own in front of this crowd of people. Uh, because uh, we had a cameraman, and he was his own, uh, you know, like, uh, he was a whole crew in one person, taking uh, care of the visual aspects, and then we had uh, a, um, a sound recording engineer who was his own gaffer, and we had a producer, so we were four people, and it it fell on me to organize the whole, like, Bolseria scene, and I just did it. You know, and I had a moment of panic, but then I just decided, okay, it's the only opportunity for us to do it. There won't be another opportunity like this. We just got them here. We invited them. The food is prepared. They are ready to go, and I, I just have to do it. So I went, and, and I organized everybody. <laughs> including my team, not only NABE, I also organized my own teams. And there were quite few moments like this. For example, we would, we would be filming at night or, and uh, in, the, in the jungle, and uh, everybody would be afraid of, of, of snakes. And then I, we, I had to, to encourage everybody not to be afraid of snakes because Snakes are not so stupid, you know, when there are few people who are making fire and dancing around this fire and there are lights, snakes are not sitting there just, you know, waiting to pounce on us. But So there, there are lots of those irrational fears that I had to overcome for myself and I had to, I had to also encourage everybody around me to, to follow me. So... Uh, those very raw moments in 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 the sh uh, during the shoots, they were um, they 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 are something to to keep in mind that there are moments like this which come when everything is on you. You have to take the decision. You have to have guts to continue, and then that would happen. That then everybody would follow you. Uh, the post-production process was also very complicated because, um, of course, we, 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 we didn't have funds, basically, to, to, to do, like, 
high-level post-production, but we want it. We want it to honor our work, uh, our production work, like all those wonderful images and the Naba who worked with us. We wanted to honor them with high-level quality post-production process, which means uh, color, um, color grading, um, color correcting, editing, and everything. And that also took a lot of my weekends. It took a lot of my uh, uh, evenings. You have to be ready to uh, to work and not count hours that you work. You have to be ready to sleep less. But also you have to be aware that you need to be a good organizer. You need to distribute your time in such a way and efforts in such a way that you would be able to accomplish everything. You have to keep in mind every aspect of filmmaking and make sure that in on each front you are succeeding. And it's this capacity to multitask, it needs to be developed because and some before the shooting process, uh, otherwise you you cannot you cannot uh, complete it. You cannot you cannot complete it. Uh, for example, I I gave you this example before. I think that uh, I had a car accident. I was driving to work and I was hit by another car. And I went to doctor and I had to wear a, a, a collar a rigid collar around my neck because my neck was traumatized. And the next day on medical leave, I went back to editing the film. And actually, of course, at the beginning, I was very upset that I had this accident. But then I thought, oh, it actually came as a blessing because this way I can edit. That's dedication. (laughs) Yes. Indie filmmaking is not for faint hearts, especially... Indie filmmaking in the areas where we did it, because uh, we were in the jungles, we were very remote, you have to drive a lot, and also we had a lot of locations. Uh, We had Doña Carmen's house, uh, we had like neighbors' houses. There is a lot of actions. If you would see, uh, we have images changing uh, every almost every two seconds, and the scenes are very compact, very intense and dense with uh, with imagery, with action. So it's uh, movie. Mo- the movie moves in a very fast pace, but it was also because we were a very mobile team, and uh, and also. In many, in, in many um, respects, it is thanks to uh, also dedicated work of NABE because NABE gave us all conditions to do it. So it's very important when you decide to work with, with the community that you have full support of this community. And um, I'm not saying that NABE were – NABE are not – easy people. They are very complicated people. They're just like any any other community, you know, be it in, in the U.S. or be it in any other country of the world. They, they are complicated. They have their own, you know, relationships that, that formed in the course of the last, like, uh, of, of many decades. So it is important to be able to exactly, as you said before, able to navigate in the community, 
to make sure that you have their support. Donna, you talk about being in the jungle, there being snakes, this being a reservation where they are bound to the reservation, where they're not allowed to leave, I assume to leave in terms of living somewhere else? Yes, yes. Uh, there are some now that, that um, even uh, uh, in, in Donia Carmen's family, some of her daughters, who venture to the big city, but uh, and they try to find work, but many of them, especially uh, this generation of um, Donia Carmen or her daughters, who are illiterate, they don't have education. So what kind of uh, job can a woman, an indigenous woman who has no uh, education find in a city? Those are unskilled labor mainly. And they are also very proud people, Nabe, and they are very sensitive. So whenever something happens at workplace that they perceive as you know, maybe insult to their dignity or it's done to them because of the color of their skin, they would leave. So that's why they can go out of the reservation, but they, many of them inevitably come back because this is where they feel among themselves, this is where they feel the most comfortable, the most, where they can be themselves. What kind of impact were you searching from the movie, and do you feel that you were successful? I wanted uh, people in Costa Rica to see Nabe from a different angle, through my eyes, because there are a lot of negative stereotypes associated with Nabe, and I considered it unjust. And I wanted to correct it, correct the situation. And I think that in my film, Nabe come out as just like as anybody else. You know, they of course they have their own culture, their own language. They are very they are, they are very specific in the way of the uh, of their life, but. They are just like everybody else. They they feel the same thing. They feel pain. They feel love. They 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 are not different from us. At the higher transcendental level, we are all the same, and that's what I wanted to show. And I think that the movie shows this. It's almost a Shakespearean tragedy, and Nabe are majestic. I find that Donia Carmen comes like a really dramatic actress. She gives wonderful performance. Esmeralda all is also look she looks like a little princess. I was always calling her my little princess and I was I was so happy to dress her in her traditional dresses and, and show how beautiful, delicate and uh, wonderful she is. So I think I showed Nabe the way I see them without glorifying them, but just showing them as as people who are worth every ounce of, like, everybody, our respect, you know. So I think in that sense, film accomplished its goal. Then whether I was able to change perceptions of Nabe inside Costa Rica, I think we started this work, 
but I think that the impact would be even bigger if the movie would receive a distribution in Costa Rica and Panama. The film has also had an impact on you personally because this is your first film, of course. It has to have changed your life in many ways. But also, you're now living in Los Angeles, right? Yes. What's next? I uh, I worked uh, in the in filmmaking before, but of course, I was always, you know, on the sidelines. I was an observer, and I was always telling myself, oh, like, I would do this differently, or I would say, I would shoot this from a different angle, or I would make the actress say it, like, with a different emotion, you know, I was always having all those, like, making all those commentaries in my head, and then, uh, when I was making Defenders of Life, I, uh, I had full, I gave myself full creative freedom, and uh, so, I was the only one responsible for the results, and I was uh, happy with the results. Of course, I can, I can, I would change here and there something because we didn't have time or uh, because we didn't have funds for that. I would change certain things, but not so much. So it gave me a lot of uh, assurance. It gave me a lot of confidence in my own in my own capacity. If I was able to carry out this film. I think I can do bigger projects with with a bigger budget. Of course, I would need to learn more, but it was a very good first step into um, into filmmaking the way I wanted. And also, uh, I have my vision, and I'm ready to defend my vision, and I'm ready to implement it and carry it to to, to the end. So, yes, it all amounts to the fact that I now have bigger confidence in myself as as a filmmaker. And um, I'm writing scripts now. I published a book in France. It's in French language, and it's a novel uh, entitled Shock. So I will keep continuing churning out interesting stories and try to carry them to 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 the silver screen so you you're going to be a full-time filmmaker from now on yes yes actually the making this film gave me confidence to think of myself as a filmmaker and maybe not as a UN worker anymore because I worked for the United Nations for 20 years, and uh, I always worked in the area of media, audiovisual production. I was encouraging various vulnerable groups to, to speak out and promoted their freedom of expression. But this film really gave me uh, courage to to leave the United Nations and move into filmmaking. And it's not... It's the battle that is not yet won, but uh, I'm confident one day something will uh, something good will happen. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Donna, what what tips would you share with our listeners who have the filmmaking bug in their system who want to make their own film, maybe from a 
their own business they want to do or maybe it's an artistic or something more of a social message as you did with your film, what, say, three tips would you share with them in terms of getting started as an indie filmmaker? Um, preparation, preparation, and preparation, planning is, are important. Uh, you have to really plan well and then follow on the plan because um, a lot of things fall apart because they are ill-planned. And then it has financial consequences, and uh, basically financial consequences troubles spell death for an indie film. Um, every, it's, it is extremely important to know that uh, for an indie filmmaker that he or she has funds to complete the production and also complete the post-production. We were lucky because we were able to uh, secure um, support uh, from uh, Dutch and um, Canadian funds for our post-production process. But it happened because we were tackling a very sensitive issue on which those uh, embassies were working on. They were also promoting the same issues. Therefore, they, they gave us funds for, to complete our post-production. But many indie filmmakers, if they are working on, on topics that are not, you know, social or cultural topics, uh, it's just like relationship between between a group of people, you know, they may not have this opportunity to secure funds from from NGOs or from 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 uh, embassies. Therefore, it's very 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 important to know that you can complete the post production, and also it is important to um, uh, have the right people to do the job. We, of course, as a, as, as a first-time filmmaker, you are just building your network. You don't know who is like a really good, uh, really good color corrector, or who is a really good editor. You just uh, you you choose people because they're available, because they they don't uh, they don't cost that much their services. But eventually, you have to be ready that. To, to overcome the, the negative consequences of your choices, basically. Because it's inevitable that you would make choices that, that won't work. Not, ev not everything always works. So you have to be able to, to find solution on the spot to a problem. When it, when, because if you don't do it, no one else would do it for you, and then you don't have a film. Where can our listeners watch the movie? I know it's available at, only in one site. Is that right? Yes, our film is available on Flix Premiere Channel, and uh, you just type in the search engine uh, "Defenders of Life." And you 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 are able to see it. It's available in the U.S. and uh, U.K. We had few uh, uh, 
supporters or fans of our film who even managed to see it in Canada, but it's not yet distributed in Canada. But in the U.S., you can watch it on Flix Premier Channel. Excellent. Thank you, Donna, for joining us from Sherman Oaks, California. Thank you very much to you, Elena. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Donna Chi. Dana Siyasheva. Yes. I hope I got that right. (laughs) Who discussed her feature film, Defenders of Life. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. PR.com.